0: Hello, I'm Alex Newman and you're listening to the Extraction Podcast series from the Investors Chronicle, a series in which we speak to the heads of London-listed companies involved in natural resources. Today I'm pleased to welcome Fevers Peroulis and Michael Jones, respectively Chief Executive and Chief Financial Officers of Therissa, a platinum and chrome miner which completed its secondary listing in London earlier this year. So Phoebus and Michael, thanks for coming in to chat on the podcast. Thank you for having us, Alex. Any listeners who might be familiar with Lonmin or Anglo American will know that South African platinum industry has been beset with troubles in the last few years from sort of difficult labor relations to poor prices and choppy grades. And looking at a map of the Bushveld you're right next to Lonmin and Platinum and Impala. So I mean what's different about Therissa?
1: Yeah, so uh, thanks Alex. Uh, we believe that we're a unique mining company in the fact that we're a large scale open pit co-producer of platinum group metals and chrome concentrates. If you look at the average depth of the platinum industry in South Africa, it's 750 meters below surface. We have an 18-year life of open-pit mine, thereafter followed by 40 years of underground expansion. So the virtue of the fact that we have a mechanized, skilled labor force mitigates a lot of the risks that our deep level peers have experienced, not only the legacy issues, but but current issues with uh, above inflationary costs. So I think the competitive advantage that we have being a low cost producer in both segments uh, sets us apart. Do you have comparable grades to your, your neighbors? So interestingly enough, our grades, if you were to look at our project as a, a pure platinum play, are relatively low. And likewise for a chrome play, It's there's the some of the parts that really unlocks the value. So we have one mining cost and one overhead cost that's shared between two revenue streams, which really unlocks uh, the model that we have. And it's and really proven to be a robust business model through some serious volatility and commodity prices.
0: One thing that's quite confusing for for investors looking at the platinum industry is that when producers talk about a platinum basket, this can vary from mine to mine and from company to company. Just talk to me a little bit about what a a basket of, of platinum metals that you produce costs to produce and what it's going to cost to keep on Producing that, sure. and, and how much it sells for.
1: Uh, sure, Alex. So I think when we talk about a PGM basket, it varies in terms of the pearl split or the percentage um, of contained metal per per uh, mine per yeah. se. So we have a high platinum content, around fifty six percent PGMs. We have around fifteen percent palladium and around ten uh, percent uh, uh, rhodium. We are squarely in the lowest cost quartile. Uh, I'm going to look to Michael. Our all in cost on a PT ounce? Um, we've we've published uh, now with our annual results, and I think it is one of the lowest in the in the platinum industry.
2: Um, thank you, Fivos. Just to talk about our costing, though, we are a co-product producer, yep. so we normally um, allocate our costs on a shared basis. Uh, but if we share between to, platinum and chrome, share between platinum yep. and chrome, okay. yes. But if we then to turn around and say, look, let's do it on a byproduct base and say, so what is it going to cost us per platinum ounce to produce? Um, and as we take off the revenue from the chrome and the other um, platinum metal groups, and you um, get to a cost of $438 per ounce of platinum metal. Right. Um, we need to have a look at that relative to the market price. The market price, uh, the market price is about $922 an ounce. Um, and of course, we have a contract with Impala, and Impala um, takes the concentrates we produce, and we get paid in the low eighty percentages of that um, metal price. So, take the nine twenty-two times about eighty 80%, percent, low eighties, um, and compare that to our total cost. So, definitely the lowest cost quartile producer um, for the for the platinums, and similarly for the chrome. I think chrome it's fair to say is sort of the differentiator for
0: Theresa in a way, but I mean it's a market that people might not be as familiar uh, with as some of the you know the base the base metals so can you give it, give me a sense of uh, you know who buys your who buys your chrome what's it used for Yes, yeah, certainly.
1: So <clears throat> South Africa contains more than 70% of the world's chrome resources, and it is the single lar- largest producer of uh, chrome concentrates and, and ferrochrome um, historically. China has overtaken South Africa in terms of ferrochrome capacity, and it's really driven by the massive growth in their stainless steel capacity and production. And chrome is what makes stainless steel stainless, so it's an irreplaceable commodity, the fact that China is wholly dependent on imports really uh, suits our business model. So they have no resources of their own. And South Africa constitutes 80% of their imports of their chrome requirements to feed their ferrochrome industry and their stainless steel industry. Uh, we've seen record uh, stainless steel melt in China this year, um, running at around 5 to 6% compounded annual growth rate in terms of stainless steel production, and consumption. Uh, With the Chinese economy moving to a consumer-driven or consumption-driven economy, it's really boosted the consumption of stainless steel being a late-cycle commodity, uh, you know, coming after carbon steel. So the infrastructure has been built, and now it's time to furnish with microwaves, washing machines, cutlery, etc. So there's a strong pull on demand, and we're seeing that uh, reflected in the current prices uh, of chrome ore and ferrochrome in China.
0: Looking at your results this morning, and you've more than doubled your specialty chrome production talk me through what that's used for and and how hard that is to to produce
1: so it's it's not very hard to produce in the sense that it, it follows the same process as your metallurgical grade concentrates. It is limited by the natural resource that you have. So it's it's a, there's a natural limitation as to how much you can produce. It is a higher specification product, so it has a higher chrome content, typically above 44 to 46 percent chrome, where a metallurgical has 42 percent chrome content, and it has low silica values. The chemical uh, product is used to make sodium dichromate, which is used Primarily in the tanning industry, leather tanning, uh, wood preservation products, and chrome plating that we know. So it's a fairly extensive uh, use, uh, rust proof paints and pigments as well. The foundry sands are more specialized and actually talk to the uh, particle size of the actual chrome. So it's a very particular product, and that is used in foundries for lining of castings uh, around the world and also for nozzle sands. So very specific use. Okay. So that's that's the chemistry
0: in terms of the market at the moment. Where where are we with with chrome and specialty chrome? So
1: so we have taken quite a bit of market share in terms of the chemical uh, market with our switch from uh, met to to chem. We moved from around eight percent the year before to approximately twenty one percent in this financial year, um, and so the market generally trades at a premium, and that's why we switched our product mix. Uh, so it's a premium to the metallurgical grade around $30 on average uh, above the uh, metallurgical price. And that premium has maintained itself even through the higher metallurgical uh, chrome prices we're seeing today.
0: So you've just released your first set of full-year of, uh, results as a listed London company. Can you just talk me through uh, what happened in 2016?
1: Sure. So 2016 has been a transformative year for us. Um, we achieved steady state mining run rate at four point eight million tons run of mine. Um, we importantly processed around four point seven million tons. We did have some safety related stoppages in the first quarter, but we were able to to pick up on the on the mill throughput rate. Um, and encouragingly all our All our production numbers were record numbers for us. So we produced 132.6 thousand PGM ounces, 1.2 million tons of chrome concentrate, resulting in an EBITDA of $43 million, up 48.3 percent year on year, giving us a profit of $15.8 million a year with a headline earnings per share of six U.S. cents. And encouragingly, we have uh, proposed a maiden distribution to shareholders of uh, one US cent per share. So I think, uh, as I said, it's been a transformative year. We've hit our steady state run rates. uh, We've reached maturity. And and I think we're ready to reap the benefits of a more buoyant commodity market, in particular metallurgical chrome concentrate.
0: So I guess in doing that, you put yourself on the radar of funds which might want to track a yielding commodity group. What's your ambition going forward for for the dividend? Do you, do you want to be a, a big dividend stock, or are you going to hold back some of that cash?
1: So, so we have a, a stated dividend policy of 10% net profit after tax, consolidated net profit after tax, to be distributed in the form of a, a dividend or distribution, and we'll maintain that policy. And as our cash flow strengthen and profitability increases, so will that uh, the quantum. Um, it is our intention to be a growth and dividend play stock. We do believe that our skill set and experience allows us to expand the business organically uh, through grassroots exploration and potentially through some M&A activity in the future. Um, I think we our focus was to achieve steady state uh, and to deliver on, on our production. Uh, we have achieved that. And so going into the new year, we'll be considering various opportunities.
0: So just take me back to early this year. I mean, you completed your secondary listing here. You're already listed in Johannesburg. I mean, firstly, why did you do that? Secondly, why did you pass up the opportunity, it seems, to to raise a lot of capital, which I expect a lot of people would expect uh, any miner to do their coming to London?
1: So, so I think if we look at the, the rationale behind the listing, it was primarily to increase the profile of the business to increase liquidity and attract institutional investors. And I'm pleased to say that we've achieved most of those uh, successfully in the London market. The LSE listing has been successful uh, and we have attracted a number of institutional investors. We have improved the liquidity of the stock and, um, and I think the share price appreciation speaks for itself uh, in terms of where where the share has, has uh, settled. Okay. Um, I just wanted to turn to a couple
0: of uh, slightly more general uh, issues in, in South african mining we 've got the mining the mining charter and there 's various proposals that might factor into that this revised charter i mean what what could uh, be the impact on your operations
1: so if we look at the our current status we 're fully compliant with the current uh, charter uh, which requires twenty six percent black ownership at the operating level or holding level um, and we welcome transformation and we 've embraced it and in terms of our our procurement policies and and all the metrics we we um, we comply fully with with all the current requirements, I think where the sort of impasse sits at the moment is around the empowerment being once empowered or the requirement to continually uh, be empowered. Um, And and that seems to be the the challenge at the moment. From our perspective, you know, we we would like to see certainty and clarity of policy. And, and, you know, we've shown that we can adapt and we can can operate within uh, the South African regulatory environment. So I think what's desperately needed now in the South African mining uh, industry is clarity of policy.
0: Do you expect that in the next year?
1: Well, talks are underway between the Chamber of Mines and the DMI in South Africa. And um, the message is that they are trying to resolve it as soon as possible. So I assume uh, early next year. Right.
0: And I mean, the so-called empowerment in, in perpetuity... Uh, provisions. I mean, is that uh, what kind of could, do you have any idea what impact that's likely to, to have on the business or in terms of the shareholding? Or
1: Look, in, in terms of our empowerment, um, the empowerment sits at the operating company level um, and there are uh, provisions within the shareholders agreements that allow us to potentially uh, replace one empowerment with another empowerment. So I don't think there's a risk of us being uh, unempowered. At any given point in time. So I think we will manage it very closely and understand the requirements of our. our our partners. Okay,
0: and the the other big uh, story this year, I mean, which has in, in some ways been resolved in, in South African mining, is the long standoff between unions and some of the some of the platinum miners. Where do you where do you sit in, in that picture? What are your what are your uh, wage negotiation timelines like?
1: So, so we don't form part of the platinum uh, wage uh, negotiation group. Uh, we do our independent negotiations with our own labour force. Uh, we have just over five hundred people directly employed by us and we're in the second year of a three-year wage agreement. Uh, we've had no uh, labor disruptions at our operations by virtue of the fact that uh, we're a skilled small labor force, um, and our mining contractor, who's the biggest employer on site, is in the first year of their three-year wage agreement, again outside of the Platinum Group uh, Bargaining Council.
0: I wonder if the, uh, I mean, the fact that you have highly, highly skilled workers may... Help you in a sense here, but I, I noticed from the reports. as Well, in mining terms, 2015-16 was a fatality-free year at your mines. For full disclosure, I think there were fatalities in the, in the previous year. Correct. I, I'm always struck that deaths at mines are just a part of the reporting. You know, the reporting cycle. I, I mean, for investors who might be you know nervous about or, or just feel they might have a conflict in investing in in mining, given the dangers and risks. I mean, do you see? Do you see improvements in South African mining, and in terms of health and safety standards? Or?
1: Look, there's a strong drive from the DMR in terms of minimising injuries and, mm. and deaths in the in the mining industry in general, and in particular deep level platinum mining. Um, I think there has been some progress made. However, the statistics uh, don't always reflect the the effort that has gone into into uh, advancing. Uh, protocols and and procedures around safety. I think the benefit we have and and I think you mentioned it, being an open pit operator using a mechanized fleet, uh, the risks are are minimized in terms of uh, uh, injuries uh, compared to an underground mine. We were awarded the best in safety class Uh, from from the the uh, mine and health safety authorities this year, which we're very proud of. But it, you know, any injury is too many for us, and we strive for a zero harm environment. And until we achieve that, we'll never be satisfied. And and I agree with you. Reporting on injuries is is not great. We'd right. rather come back and say we've had zero. Yeah.
0: Sure. So, uh, can you just talk me through what's next? I mean, if you've you, you've flagged you you want to grow and also pay a dividend. I mean, Michael, you're in ch- charge of the the purse strings to a degree. Are you happy to sanction if Fever uh, finds another mine that he wants to build? Is that, the, is that the sort of use of the cash you would like to see?
2: Sure. I think, on first of all, we do subscribe to a discipline of capital discipline and we'll stick to our dividend policy. But yes, we do have very strict criteria. Um, the assets we're going to be looking for um, would need to be very similar to what we have in Teresa. We don't want to dilute the returns that we're getting um, from the mine itself. So, yes, if the right proposal comes through um, with the right returns and um, with the right risk factors, we'll open the purse strings um, for, for viewers to go and develop something more. Good stuff. And is that a, glo- is that a global search or you, your expertise firmly lying in South Africa? Um, not so much South Africa specifically as well. I would like to diversify risk profile, um, but into Africa, um, I think more than into more global diversification. So we focus focus more on Africa. Okay. Excellent. Well, fevers, Michael,
0: that's all we've got time for. But thanks so much for uh, coming on the podcast.
2: Thank
1: you, Alex.
0: Thank you, Alex.